are listening to the 411 Foresight Wrestling Podcast on the one and only 411 Podcasting Network. I'm going to start all of you off with some good news and some bad news. The good news is we're going to be talking a whole lot of SummerSlam this week. I promised it last week. I'm going to deliver. We're going to talk a whole lot of SummerSlam, the best matches, the worst matches, and of course, the Sunday's card. We're going to talk about all of that. The bad news, as you may have already figured out, it is just me again. So unfortunately for all of you, you're going to be listening to me yap around for the next hour or so. Because of all my great fans, I will remind all of you that you are listening to the 411 Foresight Wrestling Podcast on the 411 Podcasting Network, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, 411mania.com. You can find all my great columns. And speaking of my columns, before we get to all this SummerSlam talk, I'm going to make a quick little point. I I mentioned something in my last column, again, 411mania.com, about the top five Canadian-born wrestlers of all time. Now, of course, you you may have noticed I said Canadian-born wrestlers. The keyword, obviously, there was born. So my list, which uh, is always a little controversial, but I made this list a few years ago, and I don't know if I would change anything. But I had Trish at number five. I think that's the part I was writing about her coming back for a dream match. But uh, I have her at number five. I have Roddy Piper at number four. Yes, again, Canadian born. So the hot rod I have at number four. And then I have Christian at number three. And surprisingly, I have Bret Hart at number two. And I actually have Edge as number one. I think he defeats him in almost every way possible. So that's where the controversy comes. But here are a few things I want to quick defend before getting to all the SummerSlam stuff we're going to discuss. Uh, no Landstorm. No, there is no Landstorm. I'm sorry if this were a top 10, he would obviously make it. But in terms of the overall package, I'm not sure many people could argue that he is above Roddy Piper. I'm not sure many could say he's above Christian. I'm not sure anybody would say he's better than Bret Hart, and I certainly don't think anyone would say he's above Edge. If you want to put him at number 5, 6, 7, I understand it, but sorry, Lance. And then also, no Owen Hart. Um, this one's a little controversial. I think if he were a lot, a lot uh, around longer, I'm sorry, if he were around longer, especially on the top of the card, I think he makes it. I think he makes the top five, maybe even you could say top three, one of the best, um, arguably not to win a world title. And that kind of hurts him in a lot of cases. Because, you know, he just didn't have a lot of time at the top of the card. And even the Blue Blazer, I know, is kind of a joke and tragic how he died. But, you know, he was also saddled with that for a while. So unfortunate there. And then the uh, number one complaint I always, always, always get when I post this list is no Jericho. And again, top five Canadian born. Jericho was born in New York, so he does not qualify. Obviously, um, he would make the list. But he's not Canadian-born, so he does not make the list. So I get this every single time I do the column, and he doesn't make it. I'm sorry, everybody who always expects that. So moving on from that, we are going to get to the top five worst SummerSlam matches. <laughs> this uh, this was kind of fun to kind of go back in time and uh, you know go through a little bit of history. And uh, you could argue SummerSlam is actually kind of like the quote-unquote wrestling event on the calendar i think there's a lot of classics and a lot of great matches and obviously wrestlemania has a lot but uh if you go through actually look at all the cards uh SummerSlam probably matches up very well with wrestlemania if you're just talking about inside the ring unfortunately with all the good that you get with wwe you're also going to get the bad 
So um, if you want to kind of go back, we could talk about the great Kali versus Batista. I think uh, that would be an honorable mention. I think another honorable mention was Christian versus William Regal. They they got little to no time. That was disappointing. You had Kane and Bray Wyatt. I think it was uh, like a Ring of Fire match or something. It, it wasn't even an official Inferno. They they just kind of wrestled around a Ring of Fire. Uh, not not so good there. And uh, there's a lot more you could probably go through, but we're gonna start at my top five. I'm just gonna do a top five here. Keep it somewhat short. Um, it's from 2000. I'm going to give you all a couple seconds to think about it here. I believe the show is in North Carolina. So if you can all think of back to 2000, arguably one of the best years on pay-per-view for the entire company. Can you figure it out yet? It is The Undertaker versus Kane. Okay, how many of you even knew The Undertaker wrestled Kane on that show? Exactly my point. It was a very much so thrown together card. It was kind of clear that both of them didn't really have a whole lot going on. Once it was clear that he and uh, once Undertaker and Kane were not going to get the title, the Undertaker just came back. Kane had a cool return moment earlier in the year. But once it was uh, pretty clear that this was kind of going to be Kurt Angle's time to shine with the Triple H and Rock feud going on, uh, they, they didn't have a whole lot going on. So they did the random Kane heel turn and the whole I'm a monster you know, they had done it a bunch, and the match uh, really didn't go anywhere. And I think it ended with Undertaker just randomly ripping his mask off. I guess that became a story out of the blue. And Kane kind of, sort of, showed his face a little bit and then walked away. And that was the match. And the feud was never mentioned again. And <laughs> by the end of the year, Undertaker was in the title picture against Kurt Angle. And Kane was feuding with Jericho. I mean, spilled coffee or it was something. I, I don't even remember how that started. But either way, this went nowhere. And it's kind of unfortunate that Undertaker and Kane are uh, have a whole lot of history. But SummerSlam 2000, again, it's a great show. Great year for the company. Everything. But uh, Undertaker Kane, SummerSlam 2000. Number four, another underrated SummerSlam, 2003. 2003, I believe it was in Arizona. Do not quote me on that one. I'm just kind of going by memory here. But can anyone think of the match I'm uh, referring to here? I'll give you a few seconds here. Okay. Eric Bischoff versus Shane McMahon. I believe this story uh, had a lot of backstory. It had the Vince thing. It had the, the Kane on masking involved. It had Bischoff uh, uh, forcing a kiss, I believe, on Linda. Um, it had a whole lot going on. Ultimately, it was Shane McMahon and Eric Bischoff. It turned into a no-DQ match. Stone Cold, I think, came out as ref or he came out as you know something. He got involved at the end. And up until The Miz lost at Mania, Shane, um, this was Shane's last one-on-one -on -one pay per view victory. So, what, 15, 16 years? Um, yeah, it had been a while. And Shane, for all of his credit, you know, he, he always lost. Every time he did these feuds, he always lost in the end. And this was kind of a little prelude to uh, his feud with Kane. This was kind of a little setup to get to there. And of course, you know, on all the pay per views, Kane beat Shane. So um, it was a little weird to see Shane back to his winning ways this year, which uh, he, he had never done. So I, I kind of cut him some slack. But either way, this uh, wasn't that good. The uh, one bright spot was uh, the coach, Jonathan Coachman, getting involved. He went from announcer to commentator to 
you know, he got pretty buff and started getting involved uh, physically with these matches and kind of being a little henchman, a little stooge to Eric Bischoff, which uh, was pretty entertaining. So if you're looking for a, a little moment there, that was pretty cool. The coach was finally going to do something. And I thought it actually became a very good uh, character on television, but not a good match. So it makes the worst list here. Number three from 2007. Uh, you could probably pick a few matches, like I said, Kali and Batista, but uh, number three, I have John Morrison versus the ever-lovable CM Punk. This was during their uh, ECW feud, uh, obviously, for the ECW title, and ECW title did not have a good track record at uh, the SummerSlam events, and this may have been the worst of all of them, even though I think Matt Hardy and Mark Henry also had like a 10 second match one year or something. Um, Morrison kept beating Punk. And, you know, for whatever reason, the company was really behind him at the time. ECW was, you know, all about making new stars and stuff. And I, I still stand by if the show was not called ECW, people would have looked back at it a lot more fondly. I think people were okay with the one hour show on sci fi and the, I think it was a new talent initiative or they, they called it something like that. I forgot what it was. Maybe that was SmackDown, but. They called it something on ECW and, you know, Sheamus and Kofi and others, you know, got a chance to shine. And uh, Jack Swagger was another one of them. And John Morrison had kind of done his thing on the main roster for a while. But, you know, he needed to be on his own. He got the, the new title. He got the new look. I think the new name came along with it. And the company was behind him. So they put the title on him and they beat the fan favorite CM Punk for a while. And it just seemed every month John Morrison would win. And every month the matches weren't good. And I say that with all due respect, of course, but the matches, you know, they, they weren't good. The crowd really couldn't care less. In a lot of ways, it was 205 Live, except they kind of cared about ECW when the ECW letters were mentioned, which I understand they wanted the show to have the ECW letters so people would watch and kind of have that nostalgia. But like I said, if the show was just called NXT or Superstars or Velocity or whatever, I do think people would look back on it with positive memories, but, you know, once you attach the ECW letters, you know, fans are obviously going to expect a little bit more. And I, I've talked about this before, but, you know, when you title a movie, you know, it could be an action movie or about a spy or whatever, you know, it could be a good movie or it could be an okay movie and people would be okay with it. But once you title it 007, James Bond, immediately expectations are going to go up. People are going to expect a certain kind of movie and something that's going to be an 8 or 9 out of a 10 movie and something amazing with the James Bond name attached to it. So once they did that for ECW, you know, expectations just rose maybe a little too high and they smartly did eventually go to the NXT on Tuesday nights. But whatever, either way, Morrison and Punk did redeem themselves a few, week la few weeks later on the TV show I believe Morrison was being suspended, so the company basically had no choice but to put the title on CM Punk. I think it was like a last chance match or something. Punk had to win. He had to win that night, and uh, obviously with Morrison leaving for uh, 30 days or 60 days or whatever it was, you know, Punk won. And I thought that was a very good match, and I thought it was great. It's just a shame that, you know, those two really uh, never kind of clicked on pay-per-view. So they make the worst list here. Number two is a match that I'm guessing a lot of people would have at number one. But uh, not me. We're going to go all the way back. We're going to go old school here to 1995. And it's kind of amazing when you look at the card. I mean, uh, X-Pac was on the uh, kickoff pre-show, whatever they called it, uh, 
There's Triple H, Billy Gunn, Alondra Blaze, Undertaker, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon. All those people were on the card in 1995. You know, it's it's kind of amazing. Look back, I think Isaac Yankum even, obviously, you know, we know what happened to him. But, you know, all these talents, all these great guys on the card. And what was the main event? My number two worst match of all time in SummerSlam history, Diesel defending the world title against Mabel. Ah, yes. King Mabel. King Mabel, that is. Unfortunately, this is one of those things where we're all about building new talent. We're all about uh, reinventing people, and I think it's great. We go back to the Bradshaw character from 2004, kind of run its course, had nothing to do, but he was a trust and vet, trusted veteran and you know somebody that the company always likes, solid in the ring, solid promo, a good name you could build on with all of his outside-the-ring activities. You know, so they changed his character up a little bit and went more to how he actually is, besides obviously the beer drinking, but, you know, kind of went towards that way and called him JBL, and it worked. And, you know, the Mabel thing, it just didn't work. I actually was a fan of Viscera, his other character, years later. I thought that was actually much better, and even Big Daddy V, I thought, had really cool music. (laughs) But uh, King Mabel, no, and Diesel, we can all talk about his run on top, but, you know, mixing those two for, uh, you know, SummerSlam, you know, the main event, we're talking world title here. Again, I could list all the other talents on the card that night. I mean, Triple H, Bret Hart, Alundra Blaze, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon. I mean, you can't really argue that too much, and the match just wasn't very good, and they kind of moved on from that quickly, and I believe they even had a Raw match a few months later that went like 10 seconds, so it pretty much was the company admitting, yeah, this is what it should have been, and, you know, unfortunately it wasn't. So, if anybody wants to guess my number one, you can go ahead and do it, and I'm going to give you a clue. It's from 2004. Any guesses? 2004... It is from uh, Toronto, I believe. It was in Canada. They had kind of been spoofing the summer games, I think it was, on the commercials and promos. And it's kind of fitting, I guess, that Toronto is going to be this Sunday SummerSlam. So I may be cheating a little bit with my number one, but I'm going to count it. So if you think I'm cheating, just throw in Kali and Batista or, you know, consider whatever else. It doesn't really matter. Number one, Diva Dodgeball. I'm not sure I need to explain this, but if you ever have watched the product during 2004, and you watch during the summer especially, and (laughs) the the kind of segments they were doing with the Diva Search, um, I would suggest going back and watching SummerSlam 2004. Again, a nice little solid show, kind of underrated in a lot of ways. But uh, this just wasn't very good. They, they tried to spark up a little controversy with, with an upset win and, you know, the way the end. And, you know, there was the Diva Search girls versus the current girls, the women wrestlers who obviously were teaching about respect. And you got to come in our territory. And then the Diva Search girls pretty much like mopped the floor with them. Pretty much just won in no time. I know it was dodgeball, but none of it looked good. I think it was Gail Kim, like. She she missed a ball or something and her hat came off or it hit her hair and it came off and then they they like started whining and complaining about it because I think coach or, or somebody was the official during this. It was a mess. It was over within like a minute or two. 
and it, it just didn't make anyone look good. I think they were trying to do something with the Diva Search girls, and with none of them really trained, you could only do so much. And it's just funny to look back at, obviously, 2019 with the women main eventing WrestleMania and look back 15 years Toronto, and that's how it was. So since last week, uh, my throat completely dried up on me, and if you actually go back and listen to last week's podcast, I'm struggling to breathe at some points. Um, it wasn't good. So I did not have a drink with me last time, but this time I do. So I'm going to take a quick second here. I'm not going to stop or anything. So mind me for two seconds. I'm going to take a nice swig of this drink and then we will get to the best matches of SummerSlam history. Ah, feels good. So I'm going to start with some honorable mentions. And I think a lot of these, uh, people are going to have on their, top five list, but I'm going to kind of go in a different direction because obviously tastes are different, opinions are different, and that's okay. Um, the first one I think is going to cause some controversy, uh, Bret Hart versus Bulldog. I, I don't have it on my list. I know everybody's going to freak out and yell at me and do all these you know things to me and say all these things, but you know it's one of those matches that I do not think stands the test of time. A lot of times matches do. But, you know, this one just doesn't do it for me. And in a lot of ways, it reminds me of Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart from WrestleMania 12 or the Iron Man match. I mean, raise your hand if you've actually watched the match start to finish. I don't know how many people, you know, that say that they have actually have. Go back and watch it. I don't mean at the time. I mean right now. Go turn it on. Go find the WWE Network. It's only $9.99, at least for now it is. Go turn it on and tell me to sit through the hour and then also the little overtime sudden death period. And, you know, tell me how long until either you lose interest or you bust out your phone and start doing something else. You know, I don't think it's one of those matches. In a lot of ways, um, it's Shawn Michaels versus Ray's Ramon. They had, they had two ladder matches. Um, but, you know, I don't know. The, the ladder match they have, you know, is obviously innovative and something cool and everything like that. But, you know, it's just been so top by now. I mean, the ridiculous things off the ladders, you know, it's been surpassed. And I'm sorry if people take offense to that. But, you know, there's a million ladder matches. I could list 10, 15, 20. And that's not even hyperbole. I could list probably 20. And if you challenge me to do it, I could do it. I could find 20 ladder matches better than that one. And this kind of goes back to Brad and Bulldog for the Intercontinental title, 1992, Wembley. You know, I, I just, uh, it doesn't make the top five. I, I think uh, in a lot of ways, wrestling also has kind of evolved over the years. And you just go back and watch it, the announcing, you know, not the HD and all this. And, you know, the presentation, I'm sorry, but it adds to it. I always say this, but watch Rock Hogan on mute. You know, you can't tell me the presentation and the lights and the commentary and the hype video and the entrances. You can't tell me that stuff doesn't matter. I'm sorry, but it does. All that stuff absolutely matters. And Brett Bulldog does not make my top five list. It may make my top 10, 15, 20, but, you know, sorry. So I'll just say that right off the bat. It's not in my top five. Another honorable mention, a match that I loved, and this one is older, so this isn't just a generation thing, but... Uh, 1998, I believe, is Madison Square Garden. Intercontinental title, Triple H, Rock. Again, ladder match. This one, I think, stands the test of time. I think the stuff they were doing at the time, obviously innovative. Two stars that you knew were growing at the time and were going to become much more. 
And I love the finish. I love how people got involved, but also kind of let those two go at it and do their thing without kind of interrupting. That is an honorable mention. I absolutely love that match. If you're looking for matches to watch this weekend before SummerSlam 2019, I would say that one. Triple H Rock ladder match 1998. Another one with The Rock. Uh, 2002, he was the champ. He had won it the previous month, the Undisputed Champion. And he was facing the King of the Ring winner, Brock Lesnar. I don't think too many people need a long explanation on this one. But, you know, I thought the Raw before and the SmackDown before, I think it was Nassau Coliseum. I think it was uh, somewhere in New York. I want to say Albany, but again, not sure about that. 2002, excellent build. The, the SmackDown before with those two facing off. And then Michael Cole literally screaming, I can't wait for SummerSlam. You know, I think it was one of Cole's best calls. And he doesn't have too many memorable calls, all due respect to him. And I'm not even a hater of Michael Cole, but he doesn't have too many, you know, epic calls. And I thought that was one of them. I thought it was just great. And then they got to the match and Rock didn't even do his entrance. They literally went right at it. You know, he was ready to go. And uh, as most people know, Brock Lesnar won clean. He hit the F5, one, two, three. And I think that's how it is. There was no ridiculous kickouts. There was no huge big moment or anything. It was literally the guy hitting his finisher, heel or face. Didn't really matter, I think, in this in this because New York cheered anyways. But he hit his finisher, one, two, three. And I think that's how it should be. I understand WrestleMania and different moments where you want to kick out of finishers. But there's just something great about when you hit that finish, you know it's over. And for the longest time, it was The Undertaker. But, you know, after Shawn Michaels and other guys started kicking out of the tombstone, you kind of knew in your head, okay, it might take one or two or three tombstones. But, man, it was great. F5, Rock passed the torch, as they say, and Brock Lesnar was the new guy leading the new generation. Uh, speaking of Brock, we're going to kind of go a little, a little forwards here. 2013, we're going to mention his name again, CM Punk. It was the beast versus the best. A lot of people thought uh, CM Punk should have won this match because he had lost to The Rock earlier in the year. And then he obviously had lost to The Undertaker at Mania. And a lot of people thought, okay, well, now he's got to be Brock Lesnar. You know, he absolutely should. I mean, he can't keep losing these part-timers and stuff. But sorry, but the role Brock was on, there was no way he was about to lose, especially if you figured the plans were already moving forward about him in his 2014 year. I was all for Brock Lesnar winning, but those two had a great match. I think it was a street fight or Noel's Bard or whatever it was. That was one of the uh, best one-two punches of uh, SummerSlam history, also with 2002, which we will talk about that in a little bit. But I thought the uh, entire, entire aura, I think, around Brock Lesnar, you could probably go back to that match after he returned in 2012. I think that match really helped a lot. And I don't have it on my list, but you could argue it. But I just mentioned it. Triple H, Shawn Michaels. You could argue that one definitely deserves to be on. That was the unsanctioned match between those two. Shawn Michaels, of course, returning after four or four and a half years. Uh, returning to battle Triple H, who tried to take him out. Big storyline there. But uh, Shawn Michaels, you know, you didn't really know what to expect. It was just kind of a cool thing. Like, hey, Shawn Michaels is going to be back. And man, there was Rock Brock on that show. And then, of course, Triple H and Shawn Michaels right before that. Another epic card. I thought it was great. And then Shawn Michaels with the surprise win. And then right after Triple H takes a sledgehammer to his back, puts him out, which just furthered the storyline because, yeah, Shawn won. 
but you know who really won at the end of the night and fun fact a week uh, a week and one day later september 2nd when triple h was handed the world title that took place in milwaukee and i was there for that and small little note people always do kind of talk about how triple h was handed the title and technically yes he was handed the title that night but what people also don't remember is during that segment he pretty much said in order to win this title you need to face the best you need to defend it and that night he ended up facing rick flair and beating him so you know it wasn't necessarily him quote-unquote winning the title but in a lot of ways that's exactly what the segment set up so yeah he did kind of do it but whatever so we're gonna move to cena edge 2006 another honorable mention yeah i'm still on my honorable mentions everybody so just kind of relax i'll get to my top five list cena edge i think this was again one of the better built feuds i think this uh was very very well done this was in cena's hometown this was in i think boston and then the following month was in edges and you know each guy lost in their hometown which kind of becomes a running joke now but you know, also a running joke is people win in their hometowns. So there's just as many good moments as bad moments. I don't think there's a quote unquote rule where somebody loses in their hometown, just as in there's no rule that people win in their hometown. So either way, Cena and Edge for the WWE Championship. This was, of course, around Cena getting uh, his father slapped by Edge. And I'm going to take a quick moment here to take a drink because my throat is going nuts on me. And I thought it was very well done. Lita got involved, of course, and that was kind of one of the stipulations is that she couldn't. But they worked around that. They did very well. And Edge ended up pulling up the surprise victory to retain. Um, a lot of people thought Cena was going to win here. And he did a month later. You know, he kind of got his title back. But, man, it was a great match. Go back and watch it. A lot of unpredictability, too. Like I said, it really did seem to be setting up Cena winning especially after his dad got slapped around and all that, but he ended up losing and very good match. So go back and watch that. Speaking of edge, we're going to stay on him. 2008 inside the cell with undertaker. Um, as much as the match kind of was good and set the uh, finale for those two feuding all year. What I really liked about it was the entire build was edge. Undertaker wasn't on TV and Edge, by himself, through promos, and I think uh, attack on Mick Foley one week, just Edge, I think he was sitting in a chair each week talking about SummerSlam. I think it was very well done. And remember, this was on SmackDown, obviously the Lesser Watch show. He pretty much sold SummerSlam, and that was the main event. And guess what? The buy rate ended up being very good. Go back and look up the buy rate. It was one of the highest of the past uh, decade, I think, at the time or something. Very well done. And considering it was on SmackDown and it was just Edge on a microphone, he deserves, I think, a lot of credit for that show drawing very well. And I know the card was pretty much stacked and had a lot of great things, including Cena Batista. But, man, he did a great job selling it. And then, of course, Undertaker completely destroyed him inside the cell. And they ended the feud pretty well. So good honorable mention there to go back. So we're going to fast forward now to 2014. Again, Cena. Cena pops up a lot in these. But Cena versus Brock. Um, a lot of people didn't like this one. But I thought it was great. Brock was on a roll. Cena was the champ. He wasn't supposed to be champ. It was supposed to be Daniel Bryan in the spot. But he got hurt. And Cena kind of, you know, he was kind of filling in for him. And... The plan was always for Brock to pretty much destroy whoever the champion was and carry the title. <laughs> so Cena, Brian, it didn't matter. Brock was coming in, SummerSlam 2014, main event. 
And I don't like the word squash, but he was going to squash whoever it was. And that's exactly what happened. You know, poor Cena, you know, he just took a beating. And this was uh, a proper uh, revenge for their 2012 match where, you know, you could argue Cena winning after Lesnar returning wasn't the right move. But either way, Lesnar got everything back and then some in this match and just completely decimated Cena in the SummerSlam main event. It was so shocking. I couldn't believe it. I think most people expected Brock to win especially after ending Undertaker's streak earlier that year, but just such dominance. And my last honorable mention, yes, this is the last one, folks. Don't worry, I'm getting to my list after this. Cena. Everyone loves Cena, and everyone likes to bash his feud with Nexus. But here it is, Team Cena versus Team Nexus. This barely missed the cut. I, I always loved this match. It was an elimination match. It was huge. I think it was seven on seven. You know, Bret Hart was in there. You know, you had Edge and Jericho. And it was such a great moment. Of course, Daniel Bryan returned, defecting from the Nexus to Team Cena, pretty much having his face turn and feud with The Miz after. Just all around great. And I know people love to rip on the ending that Team Cena won with, you know, Cena overcoming the 2-1 to one odds and the attack on the outside and the co concrete or cement or whatever. But, you know what, I always make this point after this, but, you know, they had a rematch a week later on Raw with this exact elimination match. And Nexus won clean. And they, yes, pinned John Cena and Randy Orton clean. The team pinned them clean, clean, clean in the main event of Raw that was watched by over 5 million viewers. And I believe this pay-per-view drew like 300,000 buys. So I always make the point. So 5 million people in the main event of Raw watched Team Nexus decimate all of them at the end of August. But at SummerSlam, a couple hundred thousand people watched Nexus go toe-to-toe -to -toe with legends, including Bret Hart, who was out there, and Cena. And yet somehow people want to say the Nexus was quote-unquote done. After this, well, then Wade Barrett went on to main event, I believe, is four pay-per-views, three out of the next four, and he even pinned John Cena on pay-per-view, and then I believe he got two title matches against Randy Orton, and then, yes, even main event to the final pay-per-view of the year. So, you know, it's funny how people say they were done and it was over and all that. Well, if you actually watched at the time and actually remember how things laid out, no, this was kind of like Lesnar losing at Extreme Rules 2012. You know, should he have lost? Probably not. But you know what? He lost. So what? They moved on immediately. And does anyone remember now Brock losing to Cena and think it's a big deal? No, not at all. So the whole thing about Nexus losing at SummerSlam and, oh, man, it was over. And no, watch what happened. They won right back a week later with 5 million viewers. And then I think it was four straight pay-per-view main events in the WWE title picture for Nexus. Now, after all that, yeah, they were done. The core and the Nexus, the new Nexus, the punk thing that when he joined, yeah, they were completely done. But for the next six months after that, no. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to buy any argument. Otherwise, if you watched it at the time, you would know that the loss really didn't derail their momentum or whatever history likes to say. It's kind of ridiculous. But that aside, it is finally time for my top five best matches in SummerSlam history. It's been a long way. We're almost 30, 31 minutes into this, and we're finally here. So number five, John Cena. Any guesses? Any guesses? Like I said, he pops up a lot, and actually he's in my next three matches. <laughs> I just noticed that. So, so everyone that's sick of Cena, sorry, but he doesn't have the greatest record at SummerSlam, but he sure does have some good matches. Um, it was a loss. He, he lost the next three matches on my list, actually, thinking about it. 2008, 
Again, stack card, it had Edge and Taker inside the cell, but equally on the other opposite brand, selling it for Raw was Cena Batista, and that is my number five match. And if you go back, again, it was such a dream match. It was such a big thing at the time, and yeah, it was kind of rushed into a month, month build when they should have had a proper Mania feud, and they did that a few years later, so I understand it. But Cena Batista, the build, everything was great. They stuck to it clean in the middle of the ring. Batista ended up winning, which I thought was somewhat surprising. But he was, you know, he was on the path to the title, not Cena. So, you know, the finish made sense. Cena ended up getting hurt during the match. But if you watch back the the video, the promo promoting the match, I thought was I thought it was absolutely awesome. And one of those underrated gems when you go back and watch it. I think Goldberg and Lesnar also had a great WrestleMania 20 from 2004 i thought their promo video package also was awesome so if you ever want to go back and watch that but it's kind of a surprising one but cena batista 2008 batista ended up winning clean and just the atmosphere around it this was their first time you know on a big stage having a match so i thought it absolutely delivered i'm going to take two seconds here to take another drink so bear with me by number four best match in SummerSlam history again it has John Cena, so I'm going to give you a second if you could figure out or guess. Any guesses? 2013. Yes, Daniel Bryan, main event, WWE Championship match. Uh, Cena handpicked Bryan. Again, Cena kind of needed to go away for his elbow thing, but I think even without his hurt elbow, I don't think it mattered. I think Bryan was winning here. He was defeating him clean. You know, Cena knew that. Everyone knew that was coming. The Bryan situation, you know... He was rising too much. The night Cena on Raw uh, named Brian as his opponent. One of those epic Raw moments, one of those great crowd reactions. And Brian had a lot of, lot of great crowd reactions from there for the next six, seven, eight months. Again, if you were watching at the time, I know this was only six years ago, but if you were watching at the time, you could just feel it. Even the Becky Lynch stuff from last year in 2018, you could just feel it building and you could feel it. And that's why even in late 2018, I was already writing columns. She's main eventing WrestleMania with Rousey. You know, you could just already feel it building, and it was going to happen. And Brian Cena did happen, main events in SummerSlam 2013. It was going to happen. It did happen. I didn't necessarily care for the fact that Triple H was added as special referee. I think that just reeked right away. You know, it, it smelled like a rat. You, you knew Orton at that point was going to get involved, you know. For all the right, for all the wrong of the story afterwards, you know, I don't want to say it took away from Cena, Brian, because I don't think it did. Obviously, it still delivered an epic match, which is my number four on the all-time list for SummerSlam. But I could have done without Triple H being added. But for the actual bell-to-bell match, he was a non-factor. So Cena and Brian were, you know, more than capable to go out there and deliver a classic. Now, you could argue everything afterwards and what happened. But from that bell time, from the start to the finish... Brian getting the clean victory over Cena, the crowd just going nuts, and honestly, you know, what felt like ushering in a new era for both guys, you know, big moment, and obviously something that goes down in SummerSlam history. My number three match, again, I teased it, John Cena, can you think of it, can you think of it? 2016, another 
clean loss. AJ Styles, obviously nobody needs to know the backstory to this one. It was just a few years ago, but very rarely in wrestling do I get kind of worked up over finishes or endings. You know, I don't really rant or scream. If you've ever heard the podcast, I'm usually pretty calm, cool, collected. And even in my columns, I don't write, you know, so-and-so sucks and this guy can, you know, this, this and that and swearing and all this stuff. You know, I don't do that. I pretty much take WWE for what it is. I'm well aware of everything and I love it. So I don't get too worked up over it. I'm well aware somebody could win one night and, you know, the next night they could, you know, lose. They could do whatever. So the show goes on, as they say. And I always mention this, but, you know, Mojo Raleigh was beating Jinder Mahal on SmackDown. A month later, Jinder Mahal was in the WWE title picture. And you know, a month after that, he was the WWE champion. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, Jericho even recently mentioned this. Like, you didn't stop watching Star Wars after the first or second movie. Because then you may not be necessarily happy with how things ended. You keep watching because then you know the comeback, you know the revenge, you know everything that comes after it. So if you stop halfway through it or even reading a book, well, if a character dies on page 100, well, you know, you don't know what happens on page 150 or 200 or whatever it is. So my main point of this is I felt AJ had to win at SummerSlam. You know, he debuted earlier in the company. He did the Roman Reigns feud, and he was going to be one of the top guys on SmackDown. I felt he had to beat Cena at SummerSlam, and the next month, he had to beat Dean Ambrose. I'm sorry. I I don't, you know, go too much into finishes and all this. I don't know if uh, wins and losses matter as much as some people think. But in this case, he needed to beat the legend John Cena at SummerSlam, and the next month, he needed to beat the WWE champion Dean Ambrose. And he did both of them. And I could say the rest is history because I would say after that moment, obviously his career has been great, handled awesomely, phenomenally, you could say, if I butcher that word. But anyways, uh, Cena, AJ, again, Cena making a star, you know, for all of his faults, for whatever he says and does and all these things about his time on top, you know, I disagree with pretty much all of it. Here it was. AJ Styles wins. Absolutely epic match. He also won their first initial match. He he pretty much owned Cena in his feud. I think what he keeps saying, beat up John Cena or something like that. But my number three match right there, Cena, AJ Styles from just a few years ago. Awesome, awesome match. It was phenomenal. Number two. Okay, I'm going to give all of you a quick breather here. It's from 2005. Okay, I'm going to let you think about it. 2005, I believe, is in Washington, D.C. Batista and his hometown uh, defeated JBL to retain the world title. Uh, this was also the big Jericho-Cena match for the WWE Championship where uh, Cena kind of got his first little backlash and boos. And, you know, the, it was just an awesome crowd with people cheering Jericho, who ended up leaving the company the next night. I think people kind of knew that was his uh, little swan song. But my number two match in SummerSlam history, I could even argue, I believe I've even placed this at number one in my past list. I think I've, you know, spoken highly of this match. So today I'm going to put it at number two, though. So this may change, but first time ever. And a lot of time in first time matches ever, you know, they do them a lot. Like Hogan Andre, that thing happened, you know, dozens of times. People don't know that, but, you know, it happened all over the country before WrestleMania 3. It even, you know, was a match on WrestleMania 4. <laughs> You know, even Rock Cena. Well, guess what? They they had a rematch. I mean, you could mention Rock Hogan. Everyone remembers the Toronto WrestleMania 18. Guess what? 11 months later, they had a match at a No Way Out pay-per-view. Do you even remember that? No Way Out 2003. It was Rock, Rock Hogan. You know, they had the rematch. So all these matches. But I can tell you right now, 
HBK, Shawn Michaels versus, of course, the immortal Hulk Hogan. Like Cena and Brian, we never got a rematch from these. This was a legitimate first time ever match, and it never happened again. And I love this match. I thought the build was awesome. The Shawn Michaels, if you want to call it a heel turn for a month, he kind of played the heel in the feud. But super kicking Hogan on July 4th. I believe the week prior to that was one of the highest rated Raws of this era. Just an epic moment with Hogan returning. I think Hogan knows best. He had just been inducted into the Hall of Fame. He did the tag with Shawn Michaels at Backlash. And he came here back on Raw, obviously, to set up the SummerSlam feud. Shawn Michaels kicking him in the face. Absolutely amazing moment. Great sell by everybody. JR, everyone. Excellent Raw moment. And from there, it set the feud in motion. And excellent stuff. You have the Bret Hart tease six days before. If you ever want to just type that into YouTube right now. Shawn Michaels, Canada, Raw. 2005 i think from august yeah epic i keep using that word but epic stuff with Shawn michaels and then it got time for the match the crowd was absolutely jacked up and you know it delivered i know people want to make fun of Shawn michaels kind of flipping flopping and doing his Shawn michaels type thing to kind of show up hogan but you know right or wrong the match kind of needed that you know, Hogan wasn't able to really do too much, and Sean obviously was going to have to bounce around the ring a little bit, even if it was exaggerated a little bit. But um, after uh, some, you know, some blood, you know, it got pretty bloody there on Hogan. He made the comeback and won with the the boot and the leg drop. The crowd cheered afterwards. They shook hands afterwards, and the next night, Sean got his little pot shots in at Hogan. And then things kind of just went back to normal. Sean was back to being cheered, one of the top faces. He was in and out of the title picture. And, you know, things kind of kept going on normally. He beat Chris Masters. He did a little thing with uh, Carlito. The Kurt Angle thing was redone. He even feuded with Cena. Obviously, uh, from there, the Vince McMahon story. So, you know, a lot of the stuff just kind of went back to normal. He did the dream match with Hogan for that month, and it drew. I believe it was like a top five non-WrestleMania buy rate of all time. It was it was right up there. I think it was like top five or top ten. So discounting all WrestleManias to say this was top five, top ten, whatever. I think it's top five. But, you know, of the biggest pay-per-view buy rates of all time, you know, that's pretty amazing. And I think that goes to obviously the last minute, uh, the last week of buzz with Bret Hart and, you know, would he appear and Shawn Michaels being so hot as a heel at the time and obviously Hogan returning the ring. And then just the icon versus the immortal one, you know, just the first time ever, Shawn Michaels, Hulk Hogan inside the ring. It was really, really good. And this is from 2005, so 14 years ago. It seems like, man, it just seems like yesterday, but... I loved it. It was awesome. You could have seen both guys winning. I know there's a lot of backstage drama, of course, with both guys, but that's just kind of how it is when you're dealing with egos. But excellent match, excellent build, excellent payoff. And, you know, it's obviously never going to happen again, but, you know, it is kind of cool that they stuck to the one time only, and it, it has not happened since, and it never will again. So go back and watch that 2005 SummerSlam, the main event, as it should have been, Shawn Michaels, Hulk Hogan. I could argue it's my number one, but my number one, we're going to go back to it. It's only fitting that we started my worst list with Undertaker Kane at 2000, and now we're going to end my best list back to 2000. And I'm sure you can figure it out by now, but uh, TLC, the original, uh, Hardys, Dudleys, Edge and Christian. Um, you know, a lot of people think the WrestleMania TLC 2, which was uh, seven or eight months later in uh, Texas, the Astrodome. A lot of people think that one's better. Um, I'm going to still stand by the original. You know, they had the triangle ladder match at WrestleMania 2000, but this was the actual TLC debut. 
And I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought the ending, everything with the Hardys, you know, just seeing Jeff Hardy and Devon up there, you know, just floating on top, you know, just you can, you can hear the gasp from the crowd. You can still hear them audibly just freak out. And, you know, when you think of matches to show casual fans, this is one I go to. This is when I show them, and, uh, you know, they always, at that moment, gasp. They always audibly go, <gasps> and just sit there in awe as Jeff Hardy and poor Devon. <laughs> poor Devon is just hanging from the rafters up there on that little, you know, turnbuckle hook rope thing, whatever it is. You know, poor Devon just hanging up there, and then Edge and Kristen, the little weasels, put up the ladder, and, you know, Bubba Ray Hardy gone flying, and Matt Hardy goes backwards. Lita gets speared by Edge, no joke there. Uh, edge spears her back of her head. It sounds like it looks like it hits the back of a ladder. Just action everywhere. And, you know, I think that one stands up over the uh, next two, three, four, however many TLCs those guys were in. I think that one's it. And when you're thinking of SummerSlam, I remember getting a VHS tape from Best Matches of 2000. And that was number one. And, you know, rightfully probably from the year 2000 with a lot of great matches. Um, you probably could argue that that's not only the match of 2000, but I would even argue uh, best match in SummerSlam history. So, you know, that's my list. So, yeah, that's my list. And real quickly, I do want to give my SummerSlam 2019 predictions. I'm going to keep this real quick because I already talked about most of this in my 411mania.com column. But Drew Gulak over Tony Lorcan, I think the champ retains there. The Fiend Bray Wyatt, I assume he'll be defeating Bray Wyatt. I'm sorry, Finn Balor sent him packing for a while. He can return down the line as the demon. That always works for me. Uh, AJ Styles versus Ricochet, honestly, flip a coin. If these guys just get a classic, I think it'll be awesome. Goldberg over Dolph Ziggler. I would be shocked if this lasts more than five minutes. I think Goldberg wins. Spear Jackhammer over. Trish versus Flair. I think this one will be really good. If Charlotte is going to get the win over a legend, I think she wins here. But if Trish wants a little bit of a run in front of her Canada crowd, you know, why not? So I think Kevin Owens is going to defeat Shane McMahon. If Owens loses, he's going to quit. I don't think he's going anywhere. So Owens wins here. I think that'll be very cool again, Canada. I think uh, Ember Moon's probably going to lose to Bailey for the SmackDown Women's Championship, but, man, I'm going to be rooting for Ember Moon, no doubt about it. Kofi versus Orton. This feels almost like a placeholder, but I've been digging it so far. Kofi over Orton. I think this is going to be another Kofi moment that uh, will be good for him. Becky Lynch over Natalia. Raw Women's Championship. Submission match. I mean, come on. This is a little ridiculous. I think Becky Lynch needs to move on to something else. And then, of course, the main event, Universal Championship. Man, Brock Lesnar. Did he come back for a month only just to lose the title right back to Rollins? I, I don't know. The way Rollins and everything's been building up, it feels like Rollins is honestly going to get the title back here. But again, it makes you wonder, what is next for Brock Lesnar? But that's the SummerSlam 2019 card. I've written about it, 411mania.com, and I talked about it in last week's last week's podcast. So I'm going to close it here with uh, cheap little plugs here. You are listening to the 411 Foresight Wrestling Podcast on the 411 Podcasting Network, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube. You know all about the places. iTunes give us those five-star reviews. Reviews. All we have so far are five-star reviews, so that's very, very cool. So give us those again. And until next time, enjoy your wrestling.